Hi, everyone. It's Jivana. I just want to come on for a moment and thank our sponsor, Offering Tree. They're an all-in-one, easy-to-use, community-backed business that saves you time, energy, and money as a yoga teacher. Offering Tree allows you to create a website in less than 30 minutes. Plus, you get a discount through Accessible Yoga. Just go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to get your discount today. Okay, here's our episode. Welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. This podcast explores the connections between the teachings of yoga for self and collective transformation. We dive into how spirituality and philosophy can ignite social change. I share conversations with folks who are on the front lines of justice and liberatory movements, thought leaders and change makers, disruptors and healers. Hello and welcome to the Love of Yoga podcast. I'm your host, Anjali Rao. Tantra is one of those ubiquitous words that one often hears in yoga circles, and yet not many know or understand what exactly is and is not Tantra Yoga. Tantra is esoteric, complex, arguably one of the most ancient dimensions of Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism. It is often misrepresented and simplified as eroticism and or magic. Today, we will be demystifying Tantra with Dr. Shravana Borkataki Varma, who is a historian, educator, social entrepreneur, currently working as a lecturer in Harvard University and University of North Carolina, Wilmington, where she teaches introductory courses on world religion and higher level courses on Hinduism, Buddhism, religion and film, and the history of yoga. She's also the co-founder of the nonprofit Lumen Tree Portal. Shavana invests in building communities with individuals from various faith backgrounds who believe in kindness, compassion, and fulfillment. I'm so excited to have Dr. Shravana Borkataki Varma on the Love of Yoga podcast. A very warm welcome to you, Shravana. Thank you so much, Anjali. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Could you share a little bit about your journey and your beginnings in India? Uh, yeah, sure. And I want to first begin with thanking you for reaching out and uh, inviting me to this wonderful podcast. Um, I am from India, uh, from a state called Assam, which is uh, in the northeastern side of India. I refrain from using the term northeast for a variety of reasons. Um, and so originally from there, um, brought up in different parts of India because my father had a transferable job. Um, so kind of, you know, a complete Indian upbringing. 
Um, it was in India until 2005. Uh, from there, we moved to China. And from China, I came to uh, the United States. Uh, so that's kind of been my, you know, um, life mappings of sorts, <laughs> geographical mapping in some Geographically, ways. yes. And how did your interest in religion germinate? Could you share a little bit about that? And where did, how did you land up in academia? Uh, so, uh, you know, and I, I guess it, it would be for a lot of listeners um, who are South Asians. I, I, say, I say this in my classrooms that uh, religion is, a, is in our social cultural DNA. Uh, it is in in all kinds of uh, fabric that we kind of it, it it does become our DNA in many sorts than uh, one. Um, the examples I give is if you were to study grammar in elementary school in India, the stories were woven in or taken in from mythology. Um, if you were studying um, maths like you know simple there were five oranges two were taken away the names are usually names of popular gods or goddesses or um, or figures gurus that are um that are everywhere so i i don't think there is a moment in time uh, where religion became a part of me i think it was always part of the tna Having said that, uh, I did, um, I identify myself today as a scholar, practitioner, and guide. Uh, these are very big terms in the academia, highly contested terms in the academia, uh, and uh, kind of a, a risky, um, you know, place to be in, especially when you take on this identity in a public sense of the way which I have done because there are universities who are like wait we cannot support this or we cannot support that and uh, so yeah there are, there's a lot to be spoken about there um, but essentially I was initiated in the uh, path of what is known as goddess tantra um, it is shakta tantra in Kamakya it is a temple uh, in the state of Assam um, my first initiation was at the age of about eight eight and a half I don't really remember anything of that uh, that initiation. Um, I think my my memories are more of what I heard my parents uh, say happen. Um, so, you know, that becomes your memory. But you know, if I were to really really peel off those layers, I don't remember much of that day. Uh, but my second initiation was at the age of about fifteen and a half, sixteen. Uh, so, I. I religion and me have been uh, pretty much meshed uh, from a very, very, very early formative age. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I completely uh, understand and relate to what you shared about how religion is so embedded within our viscera, and I cannot we cannot separate the two. Uh, so absolutely understand uh, and commiserate with that description. Today we are talking spe specifically about uh, Tantra. So I want to kind of just focus our discussion, though I think you, you have so much to share in terms of the broader conversations about academia and religion and as a practitioner. But today I want to really focus our conversation on Tantra. 
for our listeners who perhaps are new to Tantra, how would you describe Tantra? Let's start with that. What are some of the core tenets, the teachings of Tantra? I know this is a really vast topic and I so appreciate you to even, you know, endeavoring to address this. Is there even one definition of Tantra? So a student, a student of mine in Harvard Divinity School um, in 2020, I think, said it very well in the context of Hindu traditions. And then, you know, it kind of got overlapped into Tantra. And I borrow her definition. She says it's unpinnable. And I think that is absolutely true. Um, there is no way for us to know exactly a period of time when uh, this alternate way of being, thinking, ritual space, some call Tantra to be hyper ritual space. I disagree with it vehemently. Um, there are lots of definitions uh, going all the way from governance to people to weaving to hyper ritualized space. Uh, so, so Fairly so, you can understand why there would be so much of confusion with regards to what this is all about. Uh, and um, so I have come to define Tantra uh, with the root, uh, root Tan, which is one of the meaning of that is weaving. So I take the metaphor of weaving and I say, if any ritual philosophical or ways of living have these four components, then it's Tantra. So the first one is the human body and the bodily fluids is not rejected. The second is there is a subtle body in play. Now, some can call it subtle feel. Some may call it biofeel. Some may, doesn't matter what term you're using, but in your understanding of the way you are, in the understanding of the way we interact and weave with all kinds of worlds. It could be plants, it could be my colleague next door, it could be my dog. The way we interact and weave with each other, there is another body at play for sure. Uh, and that could be an energy body, an ethereal body, uh, any kind of body. So that's my second uh, element. Third is there is an intentional, and intentional is extremely important. There is an intentional use of either a mantra or a mandala and or a yantra, but there is an intentional use of a tool like a mantra, or as I said, mandala or yantra, that you're going to now use to intentionally make certain journeys or contacts with the macrocosm, with the other side, however that other side looks like, because you bring magic in your introduction, so I do want to come back to it. So whatever that other side looks like. And the fourth element is, all of this is done with the objective of Jivanamukti, liberation in this lifetime. So this is how I um, define Tantra. And in this, weaving is the central metaphor. 
How am I weaving my physical body with my subtle body with my divine body? Assuming there are so many bodies, right? Here I'm assuming that. Uh, not only I'm assuming that's my premise over which I'm building this way of being and living. In this system, so now you can see um, it can be applied to someone who is um, who identifies themselves as Christians or as Buddhist or as Jain, as you said, uh, or Zoroastrian, or even someone who does not take on a religious identity. As long as you are weaving these four elements and you're operating every day with that intentionality, I believe you are in the tantric path. And that is the definition of Tantra for me. That is beautifully, beautifully defined. Thank you so much for sharing that. It is so succinct. And I know from whatever, you know, whatever I studied that to even to come to that definition of anything, especially something as complex as Tantra is so challenging. So I appreciate this definition so much. I always struggle with, you know, definitions because definitions have so much of parameters and who defines that and how it is and so I always struggle with just very basic definitions so I appreciate this very much thank so you I have to may I share a story here yes please um so uh, this was part of my PhD candidacy uh you know I'd finished my exams uh and and part of the exam for, my fourth exam was on tantra and so there was this definition, one question on definition. So, you know, you, you memorize all this for the exam, right? So you, I put all, David White said this, Pedro said that, X said that, right? So, you know, I write all of this and my advisor uh, tells me at the end of the candidacy is that uh, you cannot be a scholar practitioner if you can't have your own definition. Uh, I let you pass the exam, but you cannot, you cannot not have a definition. And I am with you. It took me almost a year to even have the courage and I think almost another five years to talk about it in public so I hear yeah I'm I'm with you very very <laughs> challenging because I think you know definition needs a little bit of simplification and you need some simplification in the beginning but then when something is so complex and something is so ancient and has so many layers of meanings it's really hard to kind of make it into a nice little one sentence or two you know it's challenging yes um, then you're worried right that somebody yeah. will critique you <laughs> exactly exactly so i appreciate that i want to just take back to your uh you know uh statement about it being inside of religious uh frameworks various religious frameworks and also predating i would think right Tantra. can you share a little bit about the history so what we know is and there are, again this is very very contested right uh, but essentially what we know is within the hindu tradition there are so many different paths different schools uh, to be to to live the life that you want to live right i mean you have uh, the Bhakti Mar, you have, uh, you, you can go uh, Shaiva, you can be a Shaivite, you can be a Shakta. And even within that, not everybody uh, goes on the Tantra path. What we know, and I did not, some books, actually a lot of books at one point of time, you'll find them to state that Tantra is a higher path. 
Uh, I don't like to use that because the minute we say that, that means we are saying there's a lower path. Then there is uh, there is this concept that tantra is not for everyone. Uh, it is for a particular persona and a mindset, and you need to be at a certain level to be on the tantra path because it's kind of considered as an express path. By saying all of this, what we are implying is there's a slower path. There are people who are not, you know, intellectually capable. I find them to be very, very discriminatory, and I find them to be highly problematic. So how I understand the history is by the time we come to about 5th century C, especially the Gupta period, by this time, what we see is between the yoga circles, between the Shaiva and the Shakta circles, which is the Shiva followers and the goddess followers, we see there is a distinct alternate path that people are now talking about. We also see that in Tibetan Buddhism, and there is a lot of interaction between, uh, you know, in the Himalayan region between the different uh, religions. And so what we find is there is an alternate path that comes about. That path again gets split into Dakshinachara and Vamachara, the right path and the left path. Um, so there is again, you know, further division, but it becomes an alternate path to understand the, the weaving, right? It comes back, the connections we have with the universe, with the cosmos, with the Brahman, um, you know, how are these um, interactions, how are these connections uh, built in? And that becomes a way of being, a way of living, and of course, uh, everything else from there becomes different. There are different scriptures that you're studying. Then there are different lineages. Then there are different rituals. And as I said, even within the Tantra path, no matter if you're a Shakta or a Shaiva or a Vaishnava, there is the right and the left split. So, you know, it kind of keeps getting split and split and split. And obviously, this is, we are talking only about the Hindu Tantra when you're talking about Vaishnava and Shaiva and Shakta and... Uh... Correct. Right. I'm absolutely talking only about the Hindu Tantra because then we, as we know, we do have Tantras and very visibly so in Tibetan uh, Buddhist traditions, the four schools, Nyingma, uh, Galukpa, Shakya, and uh, Kagyu, you can see they have Nyingma in my, I'm not an expert in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, but what I find is the Nyingma text and the way the Nina ritual space and ritual texts interact maps very beautifully uh, with how uh, the path is understood in Kamakya, for example, the lineage that I come from. So it kind of is a very good lineage mapping when it comes to understanding the philosophy, uh, why you're doing what you're doing, what is the purpose. And what we also find is in in Shakta Tantra, a lot of the texts, we kind of, it was an oral tradition. So by the time we come to the, the written part, I some of it got lost. Also some of it, actually majority of it is very phallocentric, written by men, for men, by men, and so on and so forth. Uh, so as a, as a practitioner and as a scholar, I find studying some of the texts that come from the Nyingma tradition, which is in Tibetan Buddhism, 
helps me understand some of the texts that I'm otherwise having to look at in Sanskrit or in Bengali, which I find very, very difficult sometimes to even understand what is it that they're trying to even get at. So, um, so that's, that's, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, I was just going to say, is it because that the, the Tibetan Buddhist texts were in English and uh, what are the languages and why is it so accessible for people like us right now? Or you rather? I, yeah, I would say me. Uh, yeah. It is accessible for me because I find there are teachers who are still, who come from schools and who've studied with teachers and lineages that have stayed on. And those lineages and schools were very well preserved. And their, their texts, their trainings were well preserved. When I see people in karma care tradition, for example, I haven't found another teacher who can <laughs> claim to have, excuse me, claim to have that kind of a lineage training that that is rooted in scripture and you know and and history and practice so there is that um, kind of a gap between the two traditions and, but as i said this is just for me i'm not saying that's applicable to all hi everyone i just wanted to pop in here really quick and remind you about our sponsor offering tree. As yoga teachers, we are our own business managers, our website designers, our own producers. We do it all. And offering tree offers an all in one platform that makes it easy to succeed while we're doing all the things. And I just like to say that through the partnership with the love of yoga podcast, offering tree has shown that it's committed to supporting accessibility and equity in the yoga world. In fact, Offering Tree is a public benefit corporation, and they're driven by a mission of wellness accessibility, which we share with them at Accessible Yoga. Um, as an Offering Tree user, you'll join a supportive educational community of wellness entrepreneurs, and you'll also get free webinars with top experts in wellness and entrepreneurship. Remember, go to offeringtree.com backslash accessible yoga to learn more and to get your discount. Okay, back to our episode. And just for uh, clarification for our listeners, the reason why we have the challenges to preserving the, the traditions because it was oral was because also of what reasons? I just want you to make sure we are clarifying that also um many reasons and and here we are still only talking about tantra in south asia uh we're we not talking about the transmission and what it what happens to tantra in north america for example so we are not we have not even got to that but when we look at um look at um there's one secrecy uh there is this concept in tantra that once you're initiated you're never supposed to share uh anything that you've been taught unless you have been given um, you know, permission to do so. So that's one. Two comes uh, men by men for men. Three, Tantra does get a very bad reputation uh, in by the time we come to 1700s, more so in the 1800s, it gets into this 
very bad reputation of black magic. What are they doing? This is not Hindu tradition. They're all uh, lunatics and they are all into all kinds of, you know, weird, you know, rituals. So what happens is there's a lot of rejection and reduction of Tantra. So Tantra, again, over like 300, 400 years goes more and more and more in the background. And as that happens, anyway, it had that layer of secrecy, then comes the rejection from the Hindu elite, especially. And so well, with, you know, Hindu reform movements and Hindu elite rejection, we lose even more knowledge, even more of the transmission. So today, really, it's only in few pockets. And I always tell this to my listeners and to my students, be very careful before signing up with a teacher, you know, do your due diligence. Just because they're saying they know what they're talking about, there is no way of knowing if they really know what they're talking about. So uh, there, is, there is a lot of muck um, that gets created in Tantra. Mm. And I think this is a good sort of a segue into our next, my next question here. What are some of the misunderstandings here in the in the North American population that you encounter when you say you are a scholar or a practitioner of Tantra? What are some of the misunderstandings that you have to always clarify? Yes, and it is so exhausting, right? I, I can imagine. I make a joke. I'm like, you know, I should have a tattoo on my forehead. Um, <laughs> I'll give an example. Um, so I was teaching a course at Yogic Studies and we were trying to advertise the course through Facebook, right? And Facebook blocked me and because Facebook and kept sending me uh, emails saying you are, uh, you are, uh, you know, selling pornography. And I was like, wait, what? I said, how did you land? How did I, I joke? I said, I did not know I'm a porn star. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, right. So um, that is how problematic it is. That is at how fundamental level we're talking about. In the modern West, Tantra is synonymous to sex, uh, sexual fulfillment, orgies, um, longer orgasms, uh, and so on and so forth, right? So there is a uh, preconceived notion that the minute you're talking about goddess so you can try this put the algorithm of goddess tantra and some kind of course in uh, facebook the facebook will throw you out right and um and this is reality this is uh what happens with uh with tantra and what happens further is there is an and i wish Tantra was not common between the two uh, ways of being is Neo-Tantra. Because they took the term Neo-Tantra, I as a scholar, I do not reject Neo-Tantra. I do not say that is, there is no merit to it. Who am I, right, Anjali? I mean, how I see it is, if something benefits someone, who am I to say that's not right, or that is wrong, or that is not this, or that is not that? I don't think that's my place. I think my objection is we have a shared term called Tantra and Neo-Tantra or California Tantra as I jokingly call um, is what gets understood as Tantra, which is sexual fulfillment. 
that is in the West. In the in South Asia, Tantra gets associated with black magic. So you can see how on both sides, we are talking about a sliver, sliver of a sliver of a sliver that becomes the identity. Now, none of these are not sliver of a sliver of a sliver. They're part of the larger Tantra cosmology and uh, epistemology and, 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 and it is the tantric world, but it's a sliver of a sliver of a sliver. But in South Asia, it becomes all black magic. And in North America, it becomes all sex. <laughs> and that's what happens with tantra. Right. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. I think what, you know, I, I absolutely hear you on not shaming anyone or not, you know, blaming anybody for, uh, or stopping anybody or censoring anyone that's not the point of the conversation at all and we have to hold the tension that by only offering a sliver of a sliver of a sliver you're really not sharing the complexity the wholeness and the all dimensions of a very ancient and um traditional lineage-based practice. So I think that is what is one of the big issues is that, that that's what I'm hearing, am I right? Absolutely. And very sacred, right? So for someone like me, it's my way of being. It's very sacred for me. It is not something I'm studying um, as my profession. Of course, it's my, I also, I'm a professor of Hindu Tantra. So yes, of course, it's my profession, but it is extremely, extremely sacred to me. It's my cellular identity. So when you kind of take my cellular DNA and make it into either black magic or into sex, um, that is where I think appropriation happens, right? You are not appreciating, you're not acknowledging, um, you are kind of taking a very reductive and sometimes it's the dominant narrative that is kind of ridiculing and diminishing and dismissing a whole tradition. And that's what happened with the Hindu reform movement. And before that, you know, there were many currents before, but by the time we come to the 1800s, that's what happens. We are completely dismissing Tantra, you know, and completely rejecting it without acknowledging what it is all about, why it is there, because that magic becomes the black magic, whatever that means, uh, becomes the narrative in South Asia and, and here at sex, yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And if we were to study this, uh, you know, you mentioned that you, you, you share with your students and your listeners, uh, always be very dis discerning about who you learn Tantra from. What would be some of the pointers for people who want to study more? Because this sounds like a path of uh, liberation that is mired in sort of mystery uh, and mysticism, and yet it seems very approachable in some ways. Because, you know, all the things that you mentioned about what are the elements of Tantra, it's metaphysics as well as your everyday life, as well as rituals, as well as mantras. And so how would we go about choosing a teacher? How would we go about honoring and 
you know, appreciating this lineage? What would be some of your recommendations? I think the first thing would be to do some self-study because Tantra is so broad and there are so many lineages and then it is so spread across so many religious traditions that I think just self-study is the first one. I would say just pick up um, books like, you know, by Andrew Perdue or uh, David Gordon White has an excellent book called, it's an edited volume called um, Tantra in Practice. I think it has some 37, 38 chapters. It's a, it, there are lots of chapters there. Um, but what it does is it will give you, that should be your step one. Just kind of get oriented to what you're talking about. Then comes persona. What is your persona? What kind of a person are you? Are you someone who is more attuned to studying a text? Are you someone who is more attuned to learning it as you're doing? And again, I'm not saying these are either or. Everything is it becomes and, but there is a, a, a dominant flavor and that dominant flavor needs to match your persona. I don't think anybody should tell, okay, I am not a teacher who goes and says, you need to follow this and you need to follow that. I don't think that's my place. So, so I, you know, kind of do some self-reflection. Now, if you're someone who is more textual based, who likes study text, analyze text, then comes which, what kind of tantra would you like to study? Would you like to explore um, Shiva, the path of Shiva? Would you like to explore the path of the goddess? Would you like to explore the path of Vishnu? Or would you like to do a Buddhist tantra? Would you like to do Jain tantra? Which one would you like to do, right? And then again, allow yourself time to try a few things. I know all of this does not go very well with the, what I call the microwave generation. That's what I call my students. It's all instant, right? I mean, everything needs in two minutes. I'm like, okay, then you will get in a microwave meal. You're not going to get a pot roast. You want a pot roast? It's going to take eight hours, right? And maybe 20 hours of marination. But it's a, yes, what I'm saying is a very slow process, but essentially what that would do is the more you take time preparing and sifting and pivoting and sifting, you will land on your path. Once you land on a path, you'll be surprised how, you know, other layers will come up. You Some need a teacher, some do not need a teacher. It's a myth to say that I must take initiation. I must do this. I must do that. No, there are people who do a great job of going in with a very specific question to a particular teacher or a particular philosopher uh, or a particular lineage. They get that answer. They come out, they process, then they go again, right? So everybody is different. And that's what I would say one has to do. But unfortunately, what I find a lot of people want to do like this express thing, like nobody wants to do the reading. Nobody wants to do the thinking. Nobody wants to do the sifting. They just want me to tell, oh, go here. No, uh, that's irresponsible. That's mm -hmm. that's highly responsible. 
So that's kind of my answer. I it's love not it. a yeah, it's not a microwave solution. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love the whole uh, analogy on the microwave and the pot roast and marination. I uh, you know totally understand, and uh, that's a a really well thought out uh, answer. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think we're coming toward the end, though. I think you know you and I can have many conversations on this topic and I would so so love for you to come back another time to talk specifically about uh you know Shakta Tantra which is your lineage um how would we keep in touch with you and what are some of the work what is some of the work that you are doing which we can learn from study from any books that you've written I would love to share it with our listeners oh thank you that's very generous of you um, I'm someone who believes in making everything accessible. Uh, so the best way to keep track of what's happening is my website, which is shravana.me, M-E. Uh, so it's my first name, dot M-E. Uh, there are three, four different sections. There is a written section where you will uh, get PDF of anything that gets published. Uh, there is a spoken section. So it, podcasts and any other lectures that I do, I make it available. So I think that would be one of the best ways to um, get information on uh, on what, what I'm doing. There are five book projects in different stages right now. So um, again, as they uh, come up for sale, they'll be uh, the information will be there on my website. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, I the my social handle is Borkotuki Varma Speaks. So that's my last full name, Speaks. So I should you should be able to find me there. Excellent, and we cannot wait. I know I cannot wait to read some of your books uh, and the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Shravana, for coming and having this conversation with us. It's been uh, really illuminating and uh, you know clarifying on so many levels on something that has been a part of conversations and so misunderstood so thank you so much for your sharing and your generosity thank you thank you for inviting thank you for being here for this conversation Please support our work at Accessible Yoga Association by becoming an ambassador or checking out our studio at accessibleyoga.org.